Welcome to episode six of the FCG podcast. Uh, today we have our very special guest, Alyssa Waite, who is the Long Beach State women's head golf coach. I have known Alyssa for, I'm, I don't even know how many years now, since she was a junior golfer and uh, got to watch her. I think her. we're pushing 20 years. <laughs> 20 years now? Okay. That's, that's a long time. Um, and so, you know, she's had a, this is going to be a great conversation because definitely want to hear about her growing up in future champions and transitioning to college golf. And then now being a coach, I think you're at your, you're at your third school now. Yes. Yeah. Well, I will let you kind of take it over and let us know a little bit more. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Um, so yeah, I am born and raised in Oceanside. So from good old sunny California, um, love San Diego. Don't get me wrong, but, um, I went to college at Portland state university up in Portland, Oregon. Um, absolutely loved it there, but wanted to play professionally. Um, so I realized I need to come back to the sunshine. So I moved back to Southern California, um, worked as a teaching professional at Fairbanks ranch country club for a little while. Um, and then got the job at San Diego state. Um, while I was at uh, Fairbanks Ranch, I was assistant coaching at Portland State, which gave me a little bit of experience um, to take that to San Diego State. I was there for three years at San Diego State working under Leslie Spaulding. Um, go Aztecs, Chris, you know. <laughs> um, and that was in a great experience to be back in Southern California and um, where my roots are and be able to connect with a lot of people that are still in the golf industry and um, but that allowed me to move on to Long Beach State, where I'm now the head coach, and I'm in my second season, and I couldn't be happier. Fantastic. So let's talk about your time at Portland State. So obviously, you kind of mentioned uh, you wanted <clears throat> to turn pro. How did that kind of impact your uh, desire to turn pro? Was it just kind of that lack of sunshine, like lack of access to courses? Because, you know, like we have one of our staff members, uh, Mariana Rosette exact same thing like she's up at portland state and i would say that's her main complaint too is just it just never is sunny it just is just brutal yeah i mean i'll be completely honest i would have stayed there if i didn't want to play professionally um and i prefer the golf courses there just because they are a little bit more wet so um wet shots just carry differently and your impact is different and i mean i don't really like the tight lies all that much um, so I preferred playing golf up in a little bit of rainy weather. Yeah, I didn't like being wet all the time. Um, but the biggest impact was, yes, that it's raining all the time. And do I really want to practice all the time in the rain? No. Um, but a lot of good players have come out of that Pacific Northwest area. So it's really no excuse. Um, but being from Southern California, we're kind of wimps and we always want to come back to the sunshine. <laughs> That is true. We do have it very, very good down here, especially especially when we're used to it, too. It's hard to go anywhere else. I mean, I was born in Seattle, and I felt like as soon as I moved down here, it's like, yeah, I'm never, come, I'm never going back. I mean, I'll go back for vacations and like for Christmas to see the family, but I have no intention of ever moving back there full time because golf-wise, it, it is. It's like you're just blanketed three months out of the year. Um, so I kind of wanted to sway into your experience in college and how that kind of prepared you for coaching. I mean, obviously, you've been on all aspects of the college golf spectrum. You've been uh, you know, like a student athlete. You've been an assistant coach. You've been a coach now. How have your experiences, first as a student athlete, how has that kind of prepared you for coaching? 
Um, as a student athlete, you get a really good idea of just what college athletics is like. Um, each university is very different, but you gain a lot of experience, especially in golf, with um, discipline, um, understanding structure and how a team works. I mean, as a golfer, we don't do a lot of team stuff prior to college. Um, so being a student athlete that had to go from this individual sport to this team sport um, very much impacted myself, but also you are now a part of a community, like an athletic department is a, its own little entity. Um, so you realize that there's more people that are helping you along the way. Um, then it, it's not just you. Um, and that was probably the biggest impact along with having a good relationship with my coach, um, because I was able to ask questions. I wasn't scared of the authority and having real adult conversations at 19 years old. Um, because I had a good mentor and I was a part of a community that was extremely supportive, um, which eventually allowed me to go into the coaching role as a volunteer assistant with someone that I trusted. Um, and then she gave me as much advice as I wanted or didn't want. And that allowed me to progress to where I am now. And um, a lot of those relationships is where I've gotten to today. Fantastic. Chris, would you kind of you know, kind of partying off of that is, you know, do you feel like the experiences that you had in college kind of prepared you for that life of coaching? And if so, you know, how, how has that kind of impacted you as a coach? Yeah. I mean, my experiences of doing uh, college golf wrong were definitely um, helpful in, you know, I did watch what others did right. Maybe didn't adjust quick enough to, to do it during my time, but to, to be able to, to share those things with, with students and, and help them help them play better. I think what Alyssa just said is having a, a big team around you. Like I, I started to notice that, but I don't think I, I definitely didn't take advantage of the fact that, I mean, we had the right trainers. We had people that would help us on so many different levels. Um, and I just didn't do that stuff. So, um, but I think going through any, any experience like that. And I mean, there's players on my team that turned professional right away and have had, you know, big careers on the PJ tour. So I was around great players to, to help me with that kind of information. Definitely. And I feel like for me personally too, and I, I feel like in talking to all of our guests and, you know, it sounds like um, you too, coach Wade, is that we all would have done something at least differently. And it's so difficult, you know, when you know, we're talking to prospective recruits or student athletes, we all have regrets, you know, I, I regret dating somebody in sophomore year that probably took away from, from my experience as a golfer. You know, I regret, you know, pulling late nights or not partying or, you know, there's so many variables in college life that, you know, we all would do something differently. And yeah, I mean, I, I transferred after my first two years, you know, like as a student athlete, because I'm an engineer, it's like, do I wish I might not have done that or switch degrees in hindsight? You know, probably, yeah. You know, right now I'm thinking I'm probably never going to use my degree. So I should have just picked something that was super easy and didn't have to worry about it. But, you know, I think one of the great things about college and, you know, especially when I talk to high schoolers now and, you know, potential recruits is I just kind of let them know, hey, you know, life isn't perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to life's going to throw something at you that you're not going to see coming. You know, you might, your coach might get fired. You know, there's nothing, you know, you might end up transferring to a school where, you know, you're completely out of depth or it's in the middle of nowhere and you have no friends and you just have to re 
reorient yourself, you know, like in a way that is positive for you. And, you know, I feel like for all of us, it's so difficult to just go, here's my dream path. I'm going to do four years at school. It's going to be great. I'm going to play every tournament. You know, sure, it's great to say these things, but the reality is, you know, it's nothing is ever as clear cut as that. And I think that's, that's one of the most important parts about golf and being a student athlete in general is mm-hmm. you just have to prepare, prepare to expect the unexpected because I still, you know, there were times when I would get woken up at four in the morning, like with a phone call from my coach where it was like, you know, he, he was, you know, had a brain thought about what he had planned for me, you know, as like a training drill and he just had to share it with me. And I was like, coach, what, what do you, what? I mean, it's, I was still awake, but of course, you know, you're still, you're still there, but, um, how do you prepare? Because obviously, you know, being a coach is obviously sharing those experiences and helping student athletes achieve their goals, ideally in the most straightforward path possible. Obviously it's not quite as simple. How do you help prepare your student athletes to kind of encounter that college experience? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, but to give you a little background, is I had to go through something like that as well. I started at Cal State San Marcos, um, and I had to transfer after my first year and a half. Um, there was drama within the team that I didn't want to be a part of, so I had to do that, go through that hurdle myself. Um, and it completely changed my perspective on college, college athletics, college golf, um, and gave me a little more perspective on people. Um, so to get back to your question is that my coaching philosophy is that I do this for the people. I don't necessarily do it for the golf portion. Um, like, yes, I'm very knowledgeable in the golf portion and I've done a lot of things that are related to golf, but this is about the college experience, the life after golf, um, what you learn within your golf, um, career in college. And so I do my best to understand the athletes from day one. Um, I am a very observant person. So from day one, it's just how do I listen to them and understand them and hear what they want? What is their story? Where are they coming from? Um, And then from there, work with them to come up with a plan from what they want and how can we achieve that? Um, Because every day is a different day. Every athlete is very different and they don't deserve to be treated the same way. Um, So being able to be patient, be as understanding as possible um, and allow them to make their own decisions um, because they are adults. I mean, 18, yes, it's pushing it, but they are adults. And we have to allow them to have that opportunity to grow on their own. And as a college athlete, this is sometimes the first time that they are making their own decisions. They're away from home. They have to find their own meals, things like that. And it's like, okay, how can I empower you to be your own person, but also give you someone to lean on? Um, And I learned a lot of that when I was at San Diego State because we had a lot of international athletes. So you were essentially their parent in a sense, and their person to lean on in their support system. Um, But just as a person, like, how do you take someone and help them grow into whatever they want? It's you have to know what they want. And at that age, they really don't know what they want. So doing my best as a coach, how do I guide them using golf to figure out what they truly want in the ages of 25, 26, once they graduate, get through that weird stage after college, and then become a full-fledged adult. 
Definitely. And, you know, I kind of want to build on that too, is I love the people aspect of that. It's, you know, sometimes we can kind of get caught up in the results oriented aspect of golf and, you know, yes, obviously a team is there to win tournaments and play well. And, you know, but at the end of the day, it's the people that are the, are the driving factor of that. And it's, you know, you have to mm-hmm. look after your people uh, in order to do well. Um, I kind of wanted to take a small segue into kind of the transfer aspect. You and I are kind of similar in that regard. You know, I've transferred twice now. Yeah, I'm like, you've transferred once. I mean, I feel like a lot of potential student athletes don't really understand the portal. So I kind of wanted to talk about it in a way that might make a lot of sense just coming from, you know, yours and my perspective. Mine was a little different in that I was, I was at Cal Baptist um, and they had all their, you know, like their engineering classes in the afternoon. Um, and so my coach was like, Hey, you might want to look into another school. Um, you know, it, it wasn't really like a hard exit kind of like yours where it was like, okay, mm-hmm. there's some drama in the team. I need to get out. It was kind of, you know, mine was more of a, okay, you can, if you need a pathway out, you can have one. Um, so I guess my experience in the portal is a little different in that I was still, you know, like allowed to play tournaments while I was in the portal. I was still, uh, mm-hmm. I was allowed to practice with the team. Now I know for the most part, um, when it comes to the portal, um, if it is a hard exit, once you are in the portal, you are completely shut off from all of your facilities at campus. And it is really, you are blitzing a path as quickly as possible to trailblaze your way out of the school um, and into another one. Is that is that kind of how it works in your experience? And, and obviously, as a coach, you probably have a little more insight into this. Would you be able to share with us kind of the ins and outs? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, back when I transferred, there was no portal. (laughs) Hmm. Um, You had to have a sit down with your coach and you had to have sit down with your athletic director and you just had to be brutally honest with where you were with your situation and what you wanted. And um, and then it really depended on your relationship with that coach and with that university and whether they gave you the opportunity to move on um, because they as coaches, we can restrict where you go, where you don't go, when you leave, when you can't leave, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I had a good enough relationship where they wanted me to stay, but I wanted to go. Um, and they said, okay, like, we'll give you the opportunity. You can go wherever you want. Um, just keep this in the loop. And I did just that. As long as you communicate with the university, most of the time they're going to be pretty lenient and understanding. Um, but as a coach now, where we have the portal, it's a a little bit different because that communication aspect can disappear. An athlete doesn't have to tell their coach they're going into the portal um, initially. We find out eventually because it has to go through three or four different hoops and approvals before it can be fully approved, but they can put themselves in the portal before a coach even knows, which is concerning for some coaches and not concerning for others. Like, I mean, it does take a little bit of, um, like trust away from that athlete if they're going behind your back to put themselves in the portal. And so I hope as a coach that you don't have to experience that, that you are creating good enough relationships that they feel comfortable coming to you. Um, but the transfer portal for me, I mean, I want the athlete to go wherever they think is best. I mean, that's how I recruit is like, hey, if you want to come to Long Beach State, awesome. I love it. I'm glad you want to come here, but I want you to go where it's going to be best for you. 
So if someone comes to Long Beach, realizes that maybe the coaches or the team or the facilities or whatever their goals may be don't match with the university, feel free, get in the portal. Let's give you as much experience as possible at Long Beach State and let you use the facilities and then you can move on. Um, I don't want to burn any bridges in this career and this life if I don't have to. Um, just because one, the golf world is so tiny and so small that we all know, we all talk, we all understand one another and what we're trying to do. Um, so why keep someone from becoming the next greatest thing? I don't want to be that person that's going to get in their way. So they will, whoever comes to me and they decide to transfer, like they will always have the opportunity to play, compete, practice and transfer if that's everything that they want. Fantastic. Yeah, I really do feel that golf really does get smaller the, the more you're in it. It is kind of disheartening in a way because it's like, man, I mean, like your reputation is all you have out here. And it just is so small. Like I'm meeting people, you know, there was I played in a tournament last month where it was I played with a random pro and he was like, oh, yeah, I graduated from Colorado School of Mines, which was the school I was talking to for, you know, six months, like post transfer. And I was like, what? And how how is this possible? This This guy is from He's from Phoenix, Arizona. He graduated from Colorado and he's playing in the San Diego County Open. And it's like, and he, he has a direct line with my old coach that I was talking to. And it's like, you really just can't escape. And it is, you know, it is really important to um, continue to build relationships. And I think that's a really important part, kind of touching on what, like you said about that is, you know, I felt like I had a really great relationship with all of my coaches. And as such, I was able to kind of, you know, like approach him and go, hey, look, you know, this is I'm kind of burning myself dead here. You know, I'm taking 18 credit unit hours per semester. I'm getting up at 6 a.m. twice a week to do workouts and I'm getting up at 6.30 a.m. to go to a two hour physics lecture at seven in the morning the other three days a week. You know, I'm, I'm really burning mm -hmm. the candle at both ends. I would go back for spring break and I would sleep for 16 hours straight you know, for a week straight. And that would be my entire spring break. It was just kind of catching up on sleep. But it's, you know, you do have to be realistic about your situation. And um, I feel like a lot of student athletes in particular will uh, kind of reach for the best college that they can get and not, not necessarily, which is a, a good thing, but it's also, it's tough to see, you know, somebody maybe trying to reach for something that they might play the six or seven spot. And, you know, I played, I played six or seven, my first semester at, at Cal Baptist. And I'll, I'll admit it wasn't a lot of fun. It's not fun, mm -hmm. you know, like riding the bench and watching your teammates go play and you're there, you know, working on your short game for six hours and you're like, okay, I'm not going. Um, in, do, have you ever had to, I mean, obviously, you would be pretty realistic with your um, with your recruits, and you know, obviously, each player fills a particular role on a team. Um, how do you like to build mm -hmm. your teams? Do you typically like to have a top six or seven that will fiercely compete for those top five, and then have those three to five like really people, people, um, great grades? You know, kind of walk us through your strategy when it comes to team building. Yeah, I mean, I believe that it's a balance. Um, we have, we currently have a very strong seven. Um, and then we have two that can be interchangeable and are working on their games consistently. But everyone is on the team for a purpose. 
And they all know that. They all know that they have a role. They all know that they are valued the same way, um, that no one is different than the number one player is not different from our number nine. Um, everyone has their place and their position. And <clears throat> along the lines of believing in the people and talking about the people is that as a mid-major university, we aren't getting the best players to come to our university. It's just a matter of fact, and that's okay. But we have to work a little bit harder on having a good culture and good camaraderie and good team chemistry to create success. Um, so having a team that gets along and understands one another and has the same goals and are all working together to be a team um, is what allows us to be successful. This is the most team-oriented team I've ever had. Um, everyone, they understand whether if you play well or you don't play well, that they can be interchanged and it's for the team. It's for the betterment of the team and how do we produce the best result and the best lineup every week. Um, and it's not a personal conversation. Um, I do not make any of this personal um, because ultimately my job is to create a team and an atmosphere and a winning atmosphere and create a winning culture. Um, so everyone on my team understands they know their role, they know their position, and we are all in this together no matter what. Um, and finding that balance of people that, yes, can help us in the grade department a little bit because being on the road so much, your number one player might be on the road every week, whereas players at home may not. Um, and having someone that can help us or the team back home, they're always rooting us on, watching our golf stat and birdie fire and making sure that they know that everyone at home is supporting the people on the road and the people on the road are also supporting the people at home. Um, Cause that's the only way that a mid major in my perspective can be the utmost su successful. Definitely. And I, I, I still remember, I have so many memories of, you know, back when I was playing that six or seven spot, we would be tracking their stats all the way through. I remember being in like Calc one and I would, I was like, no, they made double. And I would shout it out of the class. I'd be like, oh no, yeah, I've, I've just, this is ridiculous, but it was, you know, and then we'd be cheering for birdies, but yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally agree with you is that that real team aspect of, you know, you have a purpose and, there is, if you can build this culture um, around your players, it's going to be immensely helpful down the road and kind of building that. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of what I felt was almost lacking from my first college was, you know, we all kind of hated each other. It was not, there was not much team. We actually relished more beating each other and qualifying than actually playing for each other in the actual tournament. Um, mm -hmm if you can believe that, which is a very strange. And then my second college was the total opposite. It was, we, we would, we would absolutely be apologizing during qualifying. Like if we beat somebody, we're like, Hey, look, you know, like, we're sorry, you know, we'll go ahead and, you know, like fight it out for you. And it was, it was, it was a big culture shock for me because I, I did go from two polar opposite ends of that spectrum. And it did feel like in my experience, I really liked the team aspect. I don't think I really, enjoyed you know I, I don't like not liking people it's not in my nature and i don't it was a strange thing for me where you know i kind of got recruited very last minute and the team kind of viewed me as this where did you come from type of deal like mm -hmm. i, I kind of showed up out of nowhere i was i was raised in australia and then got i i think i got recruited uh like august 4th and then uh started three weeks later like I signed the paperwork and then two weeks later I was hauling my goods off to college. It was very strange. Um, 
but the, the the team as a result was kind of wary that I had just kind of barged in and taken a spot. And I feel like that animosity had kind of kept over time and just kept building. And it was, it was definitely, it definitely hurt us as a team. I feel like we didn't really reach our full potential because we were too busy, you know, narking on each other or, you know, very childish high school things I know. And, you know, obviously you're trying to be an adult and it's, it's, it's really difficult when, you know, you just have that going on and you're fighting for coaches affection or, you know, you're fighting for coaches, uh, approval, you know, you're, I mean, like you're taking stats down for us, it was stats. Like we would take stats down after every qualifying round and it was always who could get to coach's office first. And my second school was just, okay, we're just going to go play as a team. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. there there was no, like you wanted to pick who you wanted to play with in qualifying. It was just, we, we were so excited to go play. It was, it was a definite, positive experience um i kind of wanted to throw it back to your junior days because obviously you have a little different experience growing up at an fcg i haven't had the pleasure i've played in a couple collegiate series but um why don't you walk us through getting to know uh chris when he was much younger um and kind of how that um, impacted you uh growing up i'm still the same age connor thanks for that (laughs) of course (laughs) you you never age no no, he's like the same for 20 years. Okay. Um, so I grew up playing baseball, um, hardball baseball. And when I got to about eight to 10 years old, my dad made it very plain and dry that you're not going to be very big, Alyssa. It's time to change sports. Um, and he took me out to this baseball field and gave me 100 golf balls and never hit a golf ball before. And he claims that I hit 90 of them and not bad and i'm like okay great so he's like let's try golf so he started to get me into golf at age eight i told him i don't want your help anymore i need to go see people that can actually give me some more help um and then that's when i started seeing a swing uh swing coach um don emmerich got it rancho carlsbad um and then he got me to a point where i was good enough to start playing in tournaments and at that point i'm the youngest of four my mom was like hey let's let's see if we can get a college scholarship out of this like you're athletic and you seem to be pretty good at this um but we went to a combine out in arizona or palm springs one year um and all the college coaches said play in multi-day events and play longer distances and that's when we found fcg um they were the only tournament organization in the area that were playing distances that were equivalent or very close to what women's college golf was going to be like. And I wanted to make it as realistic as possible. Um, Because if you're going to be in it, might as well experience it as soon as possible, especially at that age. Um, And that's when I got to know Antron and Chris, and I was playing only FCG at that point. Um, I had stopped playing other organizations just because they had started coming out with so many events. And I mean, there weren't nearly as many events when I played junior golf as there are now. It's kind of crazy. Um, but it allowed me to get a real experience for what college was like. And then that happened through high school and through, and then I got to college and um, I returned home every summer from college and would work all the future champions events. Um, I'll run the ones in Southern California, go out to the desert every year with them. 
Um, and then that actually moved on to once I graduated college, I worked for FCG for a little bit as one of the teachers um, and one of the tournament directors, which was a great experience. I mean, it gave me another perspective on coaching, interacting with people, um, tournament directing. I mean, it was in this phase of my life where I wasn't sure if I wanted to play anymore um, or if I wanted to just move on and do something else. Um, so being able to work with Chris quite a bit, I mean, he got me ready for Q school that I ended up not attending. And um, he prepped me for a lot of tournaments that I tried to play in when I was still find, trying to play professionally. So he and I were able to work closely as colleagues, but also as coach and student. Um, so it was nice to see him in different lights, but he was always the same person. He was just his cool, calm, collected self that wanted to help people no matter what it was. But it was, how do I help you using golf? Um, and so he definitely had a big impact on my perspective on how I work with people in golf because we're all people um, and we just all love golf. So why not figure out how to use it to our advantage? Um, so FCG has played a really big role in my career and how I've gotten here today. And I mean, I still now I talk to Chris on a fairly regular basis. I talk to Antron on a fairly regular basis about tournaments and kids and um, what's up and coming and um all sorts of things like swing things outside of even tournaments. So FCG has definitely had a big impact on my life and my career. Definitely. I did want to throw it back to your baseball days. Now I know you were a closing pitcher um, and <laughs> yes. I hear you had a lethal low and away pitch um, and following uh, just about the biggest kid on the field, actually um, closing out. Why don't you walk us through your walk on song? Oh, wow. So you must have talked to my dad. <laughs> I mean, he did mention know. that at You're dinner the other way. day. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned that at dinner the other day that he uh, ran into one of you and heard I was going to be on this podcast. And I was like, huh, I wonder who you spoke to. Um, so, yes, I was a closing pitcher and being the only girl in the league, everyone know who, knew who I was. Um, and my walk up song was Hell's Bells. Um, that's when Trevor Hoffman was the big time, big top dog at that point. And my dad just loved the idea of it. I mean, there was even one time that we were going into this really big game and he knew I was going to pitch and he wanted me to show up in a sling to make him think that my arm was broken. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, but I mean, truly, I love baseball. I if there was a women's baseball league, I would have stayed playing baseball, but I'm obviously very grateful that I switched to golf because it's allowed me to get to where I am today. And I love where I am today. Um, but I, baseball is great and I loved pitching and um, it was fun to make all the boys cry. I am so disappointed he ruined the secret. I, I was so good at not telling anybody. And I spoke to him last weekend <laughs> um, when we were up at Arrowwood because we had a tournament out there and, he was like, yeah, I know, like I'm, you know, like him and I got to talking and now I have his number. And I, I thought for sure he was going to keep the secret. I'm so disappointed he ended up telling you that was so good. Oh. But, um, and it was a last minute dinner too. So he almost got away with it. Shoot, man. I was so, that was, I was so sneaky. I was like, you know, because I, I honestly, you know, I pretty, I, I talked to most of the stars out there and your dad, was just one of them. And he was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm scouting for my daughter like this weekend. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, and he's like, yeah, no, like she's like, you know, like she's 
like she's the head coach out of Long Beach State. And I was like, you're not joking with me right now, right? Like, you know, I'm actually interviewing her like next Friday. And he was like, oh, I have to tell you some stories. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of loaded up on him. But um, I did actually want to get into your first set of clubs. Um, I, I know there's a very particular story behind these. Um, why don't you walk us through that night? Of course. So I think I was five or six years old and my parents were very involved with El Camino, El Camino High School, which was where I went to high school. They were involved with the booster club and their auctions and all that kind of stuff. And we had their annual auction and they had this little plastic Snoopy set. No, actually it was real clubs. It wasn't plastic. A Snoopy set of golf clubs. And I was so excited to see them. And I wasn't even into golf yet. <clears throat> but I, if it's got a stick and a ball, like, I'm into it. <laughs> and so my parents realized back then, they're like, uh-oh, here we go. Um, and every maybe five minutes, I'd run over to the table, and I'd look at the number, and then I'd run back to my dad, and I'd tell him what it was. And then I'd run back over, and I'd tell him the number. And I did that for the next hour and a half, two hours until we got towards the end of the auction. And he was like, okay, like we'll, we'll get them, but you need to continue to tell me. And so it turned into every 30 seconds. And so now you just have little Alyssa running around the high school gym, trying to go to this table to see these golf clubs. And sure enough, we were able to get them. I don't remember how much, but it was the best thing in the entire world. Um, and can I tell you what my second set of clubs was? No, but I know what my first set of clubs was and I know where I got them. And it was the most exciting time. Did I know how to use them? Nope, not a clue. I think my dad was more excited to teach me how to use them than I was to even know what they were. I feel like Snoopy kind of has that effect where it's, you know, like it doesn't matter. I mean, do you still have that set of clubs? Please tell me you do. <clears throat> I have no idea where they are. <laughs> well, My dad might have. Uh, he, Hopefully, he, he has. I think the I think the realm of cost was I think around eighty dollars was what he said. Um, there you go. But it was very persistent. It started. I think it started close to five dollars for the set, and then over time, as the night went on, it would just slowly go up in increments of five. And obviously, you running around had a pretty big impact on that because um, you guys probably oh, yeah. would have been the most consistent bidder on the clubs. Um, that's. That's an amazing story. Uh, but um, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I still have my junior clubs. I mean, I got into golf. Uh, my uncle got me a plastic set for my first birthday. Um, and I actually still have the plastic club downstairs in the garage that I first started playing golf with. And it's, you know, I still am forever thankful for it. Uh, Chris, how did you get into golf? Uh, my grandparents, um, my both my grandpas would take me golfing when I was like 10. Uh, and then I play with my dad a little bit because he got into it. Um, they would just take me to the local par three courses around here. And I remember using colored balls. And, you know, I was at a baseball, I was a baseball player till 13. So I, I know I used to slice it all over the place, which I still do. Um, but yeah, so I played on and off from 10 to 13, 10 to 15. And then in 15, I got cut from the baseball team at RB High. And six months later, I, one of my friends from elementary school randomly called me out of the blue and asked if I wanted to go golfing at Oaks North. And I was like, okay, I would go. 
Um, and then I played, I loved it so much. I played every day after that since I remember I went like four straight years without missing one day of, of playing golf. Um, wow. So I was hooked, still hooked. That's an impressive stat. I know. It feels like, well, it's actually kind of funny. We all have that in common. I played baseball too until I was nine. And I feel like I have a problem slicing too. And that's just kind of natural. Um, now, we spoke with um, Brandy Jackson last week, and she actually mentioned that uh, part of her recommendations for players is to keep kind of like a multi sport routine and try to play as much as you can, just generally be an athlete. Um, is there anything in particular, Coach Wade, that you look for in, like, recruits in terms of, like, multi-sport? Is it just can you play the game of golf? You know, it, it, you know. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of individual components going into, you know, like, recruiting. It's hard to kind of boil it down to just a couple things. But is there anything in particular that you look for in players? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that multi-sport <clears throat> for me is huge because like I mentioned earlier, we go from this individual sport and especially nowadays, like you get so many kids that are one sport mind and in golf, they just don't know how to be a teammate necessarily as well sometimes. Um, so being able to at least have a little bit of experience of being a teammate and what it means to be a teammate is huge for me. Um, whether if I'm going to be at Long Beach State that's a mid-major or you go to a power five that you have just different players and different dynamics. Um, being able to be a teammate is a really big portion of it. Yes, I do look at golf, but we go back to the basics of who I am and I look at the people and how you interact with your playing partners, how you interact with your parents, um, how do you react to good and bad shots. I mean, your good reaction is just as important as your bad reaction if there is one. Um, and how do you carry yourself on a day to day? Can you have a conversation with people? Um, but who you are as a human being? Yes, golf. I can look at rankings and scores all day and, until I fall asleep. But is that really telling me who the golfer is as a whole? Because I'm not just a teacher. As a teacher, it can be a little bit different where you just need the golfer. You just need their swing. You just need swing videos and you can leave it at that. And then you move into more of a coach where, yes, you do a little bit of teaching here and there, but you're also growing a human being um, from whatever they want to be to their next goal. Um, so being able to determine all of those little pieces. And for me, the golf portion isn't nearly as big as maybe someone else, um, but really looking at how they carry themselves every day and what they do with their um, their ins and outs of who they are as a person. Definitely. Melissa, I think you're going to get a lot of um, uh, students contacting you very shortly with your response. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I think you're hitting home runs I mean, here. Ex ex especially with the Snoopy clubs. I mean, how can you not like a person <laughs> yeah. whose yeah. first set of clubs was Snoopy clubs? Um, I Hopefully, I never emailed huh? a picture of Snoopy. <laughs> hey, start Snoopy a trend. Is, is the best. I'm going to tell all my students Snoopy pictures to her. <laughs> I don't think so. No, definitely not. But uh, I did kind of want to segue into like during tournament rounds. I know this is something we haven't really um, discussed a lot on the podcast. You have a, a lot of experience. Uh, I mean, obviously playing in collegiate golf and, you know, now coaching. Um, my coach uh, was particularly big on um, nutrition during the round. Uh, he was convinced mm -hmm. that if we could beat people uh, with food, uh, over that 36 whole day and then that last 18 whole day that, that we were going to make up five or 10 shots. Um, 
Uh, first, I do want to talk to you um, about your round at Vista Valley, uh, where you were uh, a little colorful. Um, and then uh, how that has kind of impacted your view on um, on like nutrition and how you kind of feel your players during the round. Oh, that round. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was like 100 degrees. Um, and my dad was caddying for me. I think that was the last time he caddied for me, by the way. Um, but I get overheated very easily. Um, and with it being 100 degrees and um, not really realizing at that age that that was a problem for me, um, it was a disaster. Um, I didn't... I. I was nauseous all day. I couldn't really eat. Getting water down didn't stay. Um, it wasn't pretty. Um, it was a very long day, but I was out there to play golf. And yes, I had the pressures of my own internal pressures of my parents paid for this. I need to finish. Um, but I also wanted to. I mean, I wanted to be out there. I love the game and I wanted to continue to play. Like as miserable as I was, we needed to figure out how to play golf. Um, because you're not always going to be at your best. And little did I know at that time that this is where it was going to lead me, that like having this mindset of, yeah, you just have to figure out how to play with your B, C, D, E game um, to get through a round of golf. So in relation to that Vista Valley round, yes, it was a wild day. Um, and I don't remember it as well as my father does, but he talks about it all the time. And I'm like, okay, yeah, dad, like I was very hot and thirsty and it, didn't go well. <laughs> um, but on the golf course as a coach, I mean, there's so many different pieces to coaching every day. And each player is very different. I mean, we just this year alone, we have players that eat super well and have had great rounds. And we have people that eat super well and don't have great rounds. And we have people that don't eat at all and have great rounds. I mean, it's really what each person needs. Like, we have had four or five conversations with our nutritionists to build a plan so that our athletes know what to eat, when to eat, how to eat it. Like you can eat one piece or the whole bag or whatever it may be. We have all of that information. And some of my players use it to a T. And some of my players don't. And part of it is allowing them to control their own body and knowing what they do and don't need. So Quite honestly, we have a, a limit on sweets, like a sweet treat. And you can only have one per round because we have some people that really like them and we have some people that don't want anything to do with them. And it's like, okay, if you're going to play well with a little bit of a sugar boost, I'm in. If you don't want it at all, that's fine too. We'll find you another snack that can do that. But more of just finding a balance. I mean, that's kind of how I live my life is do everything in moderation um, and how do we just find that balance that works for each player and coming from what you grew up with is another big piece. It's like, what did your parents buy you? I can't all of a sudden change your diet and expect you to play well. Um, we have to have that balance of what do you know? And then what can we introduce to make you better? Um, because it's each person needs a little bit of something different and they all like different things. I mean, we have one player that has requested freeze dried mangoes. They only sell them at Target. I didn't know that. 
<laughs> I mean, to be fair, they are really good. <laughs> yeah, they are. I tried them in a couple months ago, and I was like, wow, these are great. But I didn't know where they were coming from. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll get you some freeze-dried mangoes. Um, they have, they come up with such different snacks, especially with all the different cultures. Oh, the snack a variance is wild. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do think that's a good call, though. I mean, especially, I mean, for me, it's like I grew up gluten-free because of my allergies and you know that's kind of I was always kind of a pain in the butt to my coach because it was always we were going to these restaurants that were very you know like unique and you know I mean obviously I got to a point where I was like coach it's all right I'll just like if I have to have a salad I'll just have a salad like you you kind of do what you need but uh I do feel like that's a really good point where where it is kind of building on the fierce um, individualness of golf and I feel like that's kind of where where the best coaches are is kind of embracing that individuality of the player um, and getting to a point where they are uh, comfortable um, growing with it, um, but not necessarily trying to change it. It's kind of like that philosophy in golf coaching where it's, you know, you know, like those coaches with the perfect swing quote unquote, and, you know, people trying to ease them into this one set mindset of swing. And then there, there are other coaches who will go, okay, I, I, I very much accept that you are an individual swing and let's go ahead and work to try to build on that. Um, I think that's all the time we have um, for today, but uh, Coach Waite, I thank you so much for coming out um, and joining us uh, this week. It's been a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You're the best, Alyssa. Thank you. Thanks, Alyssa. Bye.